Praise the Lord. So today I'm going to continue talking about the love of God. I'm going to do something a little bit different. You may not understand exactly how all of this relates. But today I'm going to talk about uh, the sovereignty of God actually teaching against what I believe to be an abuse of the teaching on the sovereignty of God. And somebody might think, well, what does that have to do with the love of God? Well, here's the logic. You know, I told you last night, I got born again when I was eight years old. I heard this sermon on hell, but then my dad told me about, well, yeah, even though all of us have sinned, come short of the glory of God, and that without forgiveness you would go to hell, he told me about the love of God. And I got born again because of how much God loved me. As an eight-year-old, I got born again in my own bedroom, praying with my dad. And man, that was wonderful. I knew that God loved me. And the very next day at school, here I was, eight years old, and I wasn't really a terrible kid before. But did you know the next day at school, some of my friends were telling jokes and doing stuff that before I would have laughed at, and all of a sudden, you know, it was just a little bit off color. Of course, third grade, this is back in... This would have been back 1957. You think, how bad could it be? But you know what? I was changed. And all of a sudden, I wasn't laughing. And I I remember my friend saying, what happened to you? And the next day, I told him, I said, I got born again. I made Jesus my Lord. I was changed. And I knew that God loved me. And it, it made a difference in my life. But did you know within a very short period of time, it was that exact same year that my grandmother, who was the one who fairly, uh, pretty much raised me because my mother was a school teacher. My dad worked. And so when I was at home during the summer or came home early after school, my uh, grandmother was the one that kind of raised me up until that time. She got what we called dementia or senile at that time. And uh, she got to doing some weird things and they had to put her into a nursing home. And within six months she died. And that was right after I'd gotten born again. I saw my grandmother die. And you know what? Here I am a little kid. Why does this happen? And you know the answers that I was being given? Well, it's just, you know, God's will. We don't know. God works in mysterious ways. This is the way that it is. Now, see, I had been told that God loved me, but within just, I mean, months, within days of me getting born again, all of a sudden somebody you love dies and you ask, why does it happen? Well, it's God's will. And then my dad died when I was 12 years old. And I remember that he was in the hospital for about six months in a coma much of that time. And I prayed. And I mean, I even fasted as a 12-year-old. And I believed God for my dad to be healed. And uh, he died. And I remember he died on a Sunday morning. I was dressed and ready to go to church. And the pastor of the church came over. My mother was at the hospital, so we were there by ourselves. And the pastor came over and sat us down and says, Well... God needed your dad in heaven more than you needed him. So the Lord took him today. And that's what I was told. And, you know, things like this, I believe, are one of the reasons that people's revelation of God's love for them begins to be diminished and weakened in their life. Because you come to the Lord finding out that God loved you so much He died for you and provided all of these things. But then somebody dies and they say, well, you know, it was God's will that this person died. And people come up and teach that everything that happens, all of the rotten things that happen, it's God's will. And I'm telling you, if you believe that, then you aren't going to have a good revelation of the love of God. For instance, you know, if you could somehow or another prove, if you could impute to me the fact that I caused 9-11 and that I caused thousands of people to be killed and that I started all of this stuff, and if you could prove that I did that, there isn't a civilized nation on the face of the earth that wouldn't take me and prosecute me and put me to death. What they did to Saddam Hussein would be mild compared to what they'd do to me. And yet, did you know that I guarantee you, matter of fact, I was on my way to Charlotte when that happened on uh, 2001, and we drove, and did you know that I, all of the Christian leaders were standing up saying, this is the beginning of God's judgment. God is the one who did this, and this is just the beginning. They impute Katrina. All of the people that were killed and the terrible things that happened, they say that that's God's will, and God judged New Orleans for Mardi Gras and all of the homosexuality and stuff like this. And if you think that God is controlling everything that goes on in this world, and God is controlling who lives and who dies and all of these kind of things, then I guarantee you, you are going to have a skewed impression of the true nature and character of God. 
And I'm telling you, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's a lot of you that just, when you got born again, you fell so in love with the Lord, everything was wonderful, and then you went to church. (laughs) And you know what? I'm not against church. I am for church. We got a lot of pastors here today, and praise God for pastors and churches that are preaching the true Word of God. But I'm telling you, religion has done a terrible disservice to God. Most people look at them as representatives of God and they aren't accurately representing God. And so what I want to do today is to begin to counter what I call a uh, false teaching on the sovereignty of God, how that God controls everything. And if you get sick, it's because God willed it or allowed it. God doesn't do things like that. The tragedies in your life, they aren't from God. And if you believe that it is, at the very least, the best response that could come out of you believing that God is the one that's causing all of the tragedy is it makes you passive. That's the best response. It makes you passive to where, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. It really doesn't matter what you do. God is going to get His plan done. And so when sickness comes, when you start seeing your family fall apart or anything happens, you don't fight it because after all, it couldn't have happened if it wasn't God's will. And passiveness is not good. There's many scriptures on this, but James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist means to actively fight against. How can you actively fight against sickness or a breakup of your home or poverty or any of these kind of things? How could you actively fight against it if you think that God willed it or allowed it? You would be fighting against God. And so what this does, when people preach this extreme sovereignty of God, that God just controls everything, what it does is just make you roll with the punches and make you passive, and it gives Satan a free pass, just freedom to come run in your life and do whatever because you have to resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can't ask God to rebuke the devil for you. You can't ask God to get the devil off of your case. You have the authority and you have to resist the devil. Now that's the best response and that's not good. But the worst response is if you think that God is in control of all of this, Well, then you know what? It'll make you angry and bitter at God that He killed your wife, killed your husband, killed your children, did all of these kind of things. It'll make you angry if God is the one who's making our nation go away from Him and get more and more secular and turn against all of these things. If God's the one who does this. There's some people that believe that whoever gets elected, it has to be God's will. God controls all of those things. And I guarantee you that is not so. If you believe that, the worst response could be that it makes you so angry at God that you say that if that's the way that God is, and I don't want anything to do with Him. And I guarantee you, there are a lot of people turned off and away from God because of a teaching on the sovereignty of God. You know, is it... uh, I'm going to have to get Jamie to help me here. Was it Ted Turner that had his sister die, or is that the one? But Ted Turner, of course, who runs the Turner Broadcasting Network and is an open, avowed, agnostic, borderline atheist and is using his influence over the media and he's one of the wealthiest men in our society. He's doing all of these things today. Did you know that he started out in church that his daughter, I mean his sister, got sick of something, I forgot what the details were, and she died of something and the church came and said this was God's will. And... He, that's when he turned against God. He said, if there is a God, I don't want to serve him. And you know what? It was the church that turned Ted Turner against God, misrepresenting him. Mahatma Gandhi, when he was in exile in Africa, the guy studied the Bible. He was studying different religions, trying to find out who the real God was. And after reading the New Testament, he was absolutely convinced that Jesus was the true God. And he went to a Presbyterian church in Africa to make a profession of his faith and become a Christian. And when he got there, because he was a black man, these white Presbyterian missionaries wouldn't let him in the church and made him stay outside. And Mahatma Gandhi made a statement and said, "If I, I would have been a Christian if I hadn't have met one. 
And so he rejected Christianity, of course, came, uh, went on to become the head over all of India, led 750 million people to independence from Great Britain, became the most influential man in the nation, and if he would have been a Christian, he could have turned them to Christianity. But because of Christians misrepresenting God, he led them into paganism, and now they have 350 million gods in India that whole situation could have been changed if people would have accurately represented him. I tell you what, there needs to be a clarification on some things. So let me just share some scripture. Man, there's so much to say on this. I don't even know where to get started. Let's turn over to James chapter 1. And let me just, I'm going to be preaching against a lot of stuff today. I hate to preach against stuff all of the time, but sometimes you got to tear down and root out all of the bad foundation before you can put in a good foundation. And I'm telling you, I believe, this is my opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Usually has a couple of holes in it. But it's my opinion that this is the worst doctrine in the body of Christ today. It's the most pervasive doctrine. And even people that don't know hardly any scriptures will come up with, well, if, you know, whatever God's will is... You know, we have to pray, if it be thy will. And there's people that just think that God supernaturally controls everything that goes on in our life. And here are some of the scriptures that they use to teach things like that. James chapter 1. In verse 1 he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Now let me say this, that if you hadn't have already been prejudiced with this verse, did you know that there is nothing wrong with this verse? This is just great. It's just saying rejoice when troubles come your way because you know what? It's an opportunity for you to believe God, exercise your faith, and you're going to be stronger. I submit to that 100%. There's nothing wrong with a single thing being said here. But here's the way that this verse is taught. That if you really want to be strong and have patience, God is going to give you trouble. God is going to send you trials and tribulations because the only way that you can truly be strong is to suffer. That is not what this verse is saying. All this verse is saying is that, you know what, God has given you an ability to be an overcomer. And so when Satan comes against you, use that ability. Use your faith. Believe God. And you know what, you're going to be stronger because of it. That's all this is saying. But don't blame God for the problems. There are people that actually have taught this, that if you're praying for patience, that God's liable to give you cancer because you know what? This trial and this affliction is going to teach you humility and you're going to come out on the other side better off. I tell you what, that teaching will kill you. How can you resist cancer? How can you actively fight against it like James 4, 7 says, if you think that God is the source? If you were to actively fight against that cancer, then you would actually be actively fighting against God. And so this is why people just give token resistance and they'll say, oh God, please heal this cancer. But you know what? They don't fight against it like the plague that it is. They become passive and submissive thinking, well, whatever God's purpose for my life is. And you know what? That'll get you killed. You know, I don't want to go into this whole testimony, but I want to make a point here. So I'm going to say some things real quickly. But when I first got turned on to the Lord, I made an absolute total, unconditional surrender to God. That God, I'll do anything, I'll go anything. If it would have been God's will for me to die, I'd have been glad to have got died. And I know some of you may question that, but there's absolutely true. I'd have done anything, no reservations. That's good, but it's also potentially dangerous if you don't know the truth. Because then you can have the devil come by and start taking things like this that God is going to put troubles in your life. And I had some things happen, supernatural things, that I had... Um, anyway, I don't want to go into... I don't make a long story out of this. I could spend an hour on this. But anyway, let me just say that I had some supernatural things happen. I had two dreams where 
I was being attacked by the devil and I nearly died. And I mean, I woke up and I was bleeding from it. It wasn't just a dream. It was, there was something physical going on. I was attacked by a demonic thing. I rejected this and said, this isn't of God. I don't believe this is God. So I rebuked those things. I walked into a Dairy Queen, 300 and mi- something miles away from my house. And a woman I'd never seen before walks up to me in the Dairy Queen and quotes from the book of Job. God speaks once, yea, twice in visions of the night when deep sleep falls upon people. And she says, you said those dreams were of the devil. They're of God. Man, all the hair on the back of my neck just stood up like, whoa. And you know what? I didn't know very much. And so I thought, this must be God. God is going to do something tragic to me. And then we had a guy come to our church preaching that Satan is God's messenger boy. Nothing can happen unless God allows it to happen. Everything has to be approved of God. And this guy had three, seven incurable diseases. He was supposed to be dead, but he was preaching and saying that God gave him these diseases. And then he turned around and and because people knew all of these things that had been happening, they told this preacher and he started telling me, God's going to put you into a coma and you're going to go into a coma for eight years and you're going to be in this vegetative state. And then when you come out of the coma, you're going to be used of God greater than you've ever been used before. And because I was willing to do whatever... And because of all of these supernatural things, you know what? I was accepting it. I was yielding to it. And they took us out to eat. This is just a, what, a week or two, short time before Jamie and I got married. And Jamie and I were sitting there, and this guy was sitting across the table prophesying all of these terrible things. And I was sitting there saying, you know what? If that's God's will, I'll accept it. And I was that close to totally buying into that. But, you know, the devil always overplays his hand. The devil just can't stop and leave well enough alone. He's, a, he's an extremist. Everything he does. He had me on the ropes. If he'd have quit then, he'd have got me. But you know what? This guy just kept pushing. And he says, you know, the worst part of all of this isn't just the physical suffering and the pain and all of the diseases, but says, for eight years, God has not let me study the Bible. He told me he will not let me study the word. I can't open up the Bible. This is a preacher. And for eight years, God hasn't let me get into the Word of God. And that's what He's going to do to you. He's going to shut the Word of God. And you're not only going to go through this physical thing, but you're going to go through a spiritual drought. And you know what? I didn't know very much. But I knew better than that. I knew that God would not shut the Word to me. And here I was, 23 years old. Nobody. Here was this famous preacher sitting across from me. And I stood up and I said, I reject all of this. I rebuke this. I'm not accepting it in the name of the Lord. And I got up and walked out of that church, out of that meeting, out of that church, and just left the whole thing because I knew that God wouldn't do that. But if I hadn't have stood up and have resisted that, did you know what? I'm convinced that that kind of stuff would have happened. And to make all this worse, right before Jamie and I got married, we went for our physical and I took a blood test and I had what yellow jaundice is what they call it, which isn't life-threatening. It's, I don't know exactly how you get it. It's not a big deal, but you have to lay flat of your back to recover. If you don't, it can kill you. And I had already determined I am not going to lay flat of my back. You know what? I went and I was still pouring cement and I determined that this must be how it's going to happen. And you know what? I had things set up. There was things working in my life that I could have been dead if I'd have submitted to that. Praise God. I had at least had enough gumption to know that God wouldn't close the word to me and I resisted it. But if I hadn't have resisted, Satan just about had me in a stranglehold. He was just about to kill me. And I'm telling you that likewise... These trials and things that come into your life are not ordained by God. If you think that they're ordained of God, it's going to make you passive and you can't actively fight against it and Satan is going to stop you. You know, if you were going to be consistent, if you weren't going to be hypocritical in your doctrine, and if you really believe that God's the one that's given you all of these problems, if you believe that God's the one that gave you cancer, God's the one that caused this problem, if you're going to be consistent, then you shouldn't go to a doctor You shouldn't take any medication because you're trying to get out of God's will. If God really gave you the sickness, why do you go to the doctor and let them cut something out and radiate you with radiation? 
If you really believe God gave it to you, well, then you're trying to short circuit what God's doing. Why don't you let patience have her perfect work? Why don't you let it just conto- Why don't you let it run its course? If you really believe God's one that's caused this poverty and He's doing these things to humble you, then why are you trying to get out of it? Believing God for a bigger job and better job and all these kind of things. Why don't you submit and just let it have its work? It's hypocritical. Get in or out. Get on one side or the other. If you really believe God is controlling all of these things, don't do anything to circumvent what God is trying to do. If He's trying to destroy you, let Him destroy you. There's some of you aren't liking this. But I'm telling you, it's hypocritical. And you may be sincere, you may not have thought about it, but now I've told you the truth. You're going to have to make a decision. Is God really the source of your problem? If He is, then you need to submit. And if it feels wrong to submit to cancer and submit to poverty and submit to heartache and heartbreak, well then maybe you ought to consider that God isn't the source of that. This isn't saying that God is the source of your problems. It's just saying that, look, you are going to have problems. And as you take your faith and use it, you're going to be better off because you've got a victory and you've exercised your muscles and you're stronger because of it. But don't blame God for putting these things in your life. As a matter of fact, I hadn't got time to read all of these scriptures, but let's just drop down to verse 13. This is in the same chapter, it's the same person writing, it's about the same topic. And he says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. If people took this verse and put it into context, it'd show you that it's not saying that God is going to send troubles in your life. All it's saying is, all of us are going to have trouble. We live in a fallen world. And I guarantee you, if you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both headed the same direction. You turn around and start going God's direction and you will run into the devil. It says all of those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 You are going to have problems. And when they come, if you stand and believe God, you're going to get a victory. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to help you. I have no complaint with that. But to say that God is going to send you problems to make you stronger is wrong and it makes you passive towards those things which violates James 4, 7 and many other passages of Scripture. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God is not the one that is sending problems your way. It says in verse 17 or verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, if you aren't going to believe what he says in verse 17, you're erring. Don't err. Here's the truth. Every good and every every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. That's pretty good theology. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. But you know, the scripture says over in... Isaiah chapter 5, that in the last days they'll call good evil and evil good. We're seeing that in the secular world. Things that used to be sin and used to be wrong are now being promoted and they're having gay pride week. They're bragging about things that you ought to be ashamed of. But you know what? It started with the church. The church has been saying that God is the one who's putting trials and troubles on you. God is the author of your cancer. God is doing all of these things. They're calling that which is good, evil. If you stand up and say, God is a good God and God's not going to put cancer on you. God's not out to destroy you. God loves you. The church will stand up and say, oh, now wait a minute. God loves you so much. He's going to bless you with this cancer. He's going to bless you with these things. This is actually a blessing. We have people, I won't mention a name, but many of you will know who I'm talking about, who's on radio and very influential talking about that they're quadriplegic because God made them that way. That is God's will and God uses them that way. And there is no doubt that God does use them. But God didn't do that. This person jumped off of a rock into a swimming hole thing where it had signs posted, do not do it went against all of the instructions and stuff, rebelled, 
and by their own admission was living a life of rebellion and against God and was not seeking God, they jumped off into this thing, broke their neck, and that's why they came, became quadriplegic. It wasn't God that made them that way. They made themselves that way. Satan used this. But because when they were laying flat of their back and they couldn't move, the only way they could look was up, they turned to God and learned something out of it. And their life is now so much better because now they are submitted to God and they're loving God. Therefore, they're talking about how wonderful this tragedy was in their life and saying that God made them quadriplegic. That's misrepresentation. That's wrong. And that leaves the impression that, you know, that's God's will. Sid right here, he was quadriplegic. Stand up and let them see what a healed quadriplegic looked like. Awesome. And I think, was it a motorcycle accident that you had? And, and you know what? God didn't make Sid have a motorcycle accident. But because they knew the truth and they believed God, how long did it take for you to get over all that? He's still healing. But I mean, how long were you quadriplegic? Four months. And you know what? They believed God and they stood and they resisted this. And I guarantee you it didn't happen accidentally and the doctors didn't cause it to happen. It was their faith in God that caused that to work. I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody who has tragedy happen in their life. We live in a fallen world and tragedy is going to come your way. And many times we cooperate with it. And so, yes, things can happen, but don't blame God for it. But somebody says, but oh, this is what turned my life around. If it hadn't have been for my divorce, I never would have turned to God. Well, that may be true, but that's because you were rebellious and doing your own thing. There's no doubt. You know, if I went over here and beat my head against the wall, man, I could learn. That, that's not smart. I don't think I'm going to do that again. And I could learn something from it. But you know what? You can take my word for it. Don't go beat your head against the wall and you can learn by that. You don't have to learn everything by hard knocks. There are things that you can learn on your own. Turn over here to Romans chapter 8. Here's another passage of scripture that if people don't know any other verse in the, script, in the Bible, they're going to know this one. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Man, I've heard people quote that and apply that to everything. We know that all things work together for good. I don't know why this happened, but God's got a reason in making this happen. I actually spoke at a full gospel businessman's one night and a, a guy came and... Let's see, I must have been leading the music, I guess, is what I was doing at this full gospel businessman's meeting. And the other guy got up. He was the speaker. And he got up and he had just come from a funeral that afternoon. Two kids, teenagers, were killed in a car accident because they were drinking and doing drugs at the same time. They were high. They were driving on a wet street. They made a sharp turn and weren't able to keep the turn. And their car crashed into a telephone pole. And both of these kids were killed. And the guy got up and talked about how that he used Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good. We know that God had a purpose in doing this. And I guarantee you, it was all I could do to keep from just standing up and ruining this whole thing because, man, that's just wrong. That's wrong. God did not cause that. Well, what does this mean then? Well, first of all, look at this. It says, and we know it starts with the word and. The word and is a conjunction linking this to the previous verses. Look in the previous verses up here in verse uh, 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. If you look that verse, those words up in the Greek, the word for he makes intercession, uh, it means that he takes hold together with us is what the word means. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't intercede for you without your cooperation. But when you start interceding, when you start resisting, the Holy Spirit takes hold together with you and helps you. This is not an automatic thing. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't just make intercession for you without your cooperation, but He helps us as we intercede. And it's talking about intercession and standing for the perfect will of God. So this verse, Romans 8.28, is conditional on the two previous verses where he's talking about the Holy Spirit taking hold together with you in fighting and resisting. Now, if that's happening, then we know. If that isn't happening, then Romans 8.28 is not true. Everything does not work together for good unless you are interceding and the Holy Spirit is taking hold together with you and using you and you're standing and fighting this thing. Now that's a totally different slant. People take this verse out of context and just say that whatever happens, we know that it's God's will. I actually heard a woman on, I'm not going to mention this program either because many of you watch this program. The guy's on right in front of me. But you don't know what network. But I heard a guy interview a woman who her and her daughter were uh, abducted at gunpoint, taken out into the country, raped, and then he laid both of them down on their stomach, shot them both in the back of the head, and the daughter died. The mother was severely injured and I think had partial paralysis, but she lived through it. And she was on this uh, program talking about how that she knew that this was God's will that this somehow or another was ordained of God and it was working together for good. That's just amazing to me that people would credit that kind of stuff to God. That God caused a man to rape two women, a mother and a daughter, kill the daughter, try and kill the mother, and blame God for that. Now, if you believe that, I guarantee you, you got a skewed impression of who God is. And if you believe that and then you turn around and say, oh, I know that God loves me. God is a good God. But if that's what you think goodness is, you're going to have a hard time understanding God. That is not the true nature of God. Again, prove that I did something like that. Prove that I take two women out, rape them, kill one of them, try and kill the other. And then you come and say, well, Andrew's really a good person. I really like him. He's just got integrity and character. And I tell you what, his word is true. And he had never hurt anybody. Of course, he raped and murdered and stuff. But that was all because it was working out together for good. Boy, if you believe that, you believe anything. See, if you would just put it into human terms and look at it like God is a real person. You wouldn't want to be close to somebody who rapes and murders and kills. God isn't the source of those things. This doesn't say that all things come from God. It just says God is able to make anything work together for good. If you are interceding and the Holy Spirit is taken together with you, and if you're interceding and fighting against these things, and then it goes on to say in the rest of verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You never hear that qualification put on it. They'll talk about even lost people. They'll talk about even 9-11. Well, we know that all things work together for good. doesn't matter if you're born again or anything. This says it only works together for good if you have been interceding and the Holy Spirit has taken hold together with you and you're fighting against this ungodliness. And if you love God, if you don't love God, Romans 8-28 doesn't apply to you. And then it goes on to say, it says, for those that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Well, there's a scripture over in 1 John chapter 3 that says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The purpose of Jesus is to destroy the works of the devil. Or you could say it like Romans, I mean, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Lord is out to resist, to destroy the works of the devil. And if you are called according to his purpose, if you are following that, then you are resisting the devil. So you could say it this way. For those who have been interceding and have gotten into intercession where the Holy Spirit is taking hold together with them, they are interceding in the power and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if they love God, And if they are out to destroy the works of the devil, I mean fighting against it, not submitting to it, thinking that God is the author of this sickness and disease or problem. 
If those things are true, then you know what? Ever comes against you, it's going to work together for good. And I can say only then. And yet there are people that just have taken, you know, they're sitting there watching as the stomach turns on the television all day long. They don't ever seek God. They don't study the Word. They don't go to church. They don't do anything. They aren't resisting. They aren't fighting. And then tragedy comes into their life and they just pull this scripture out of their promise box and say, well, we know that all things work together for good. And they give themselves a salve and soothe their conscience with there must be some greater design. God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. You know, this death must really be it must mean life. It must mean good somehow or another. That's the way that religion has interpreted this. They've called that which is evil, good. And they've been calling good, evil. And they've reversed it so that God is the source of all of the problems and the misery. It is such a prevalent thing that they even write it in contracts that the insurance company will insure you in all of these things except acts of God. Tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, and stuff like that. They blame God for all of this stuff. God's not the source of all of that. People think that God is the one that sent the hurricanes, or either President Bush, one of the two. (laughs) They actually credited President Bush with global warming and causing all of the hurricanes. Man. Well, then why did that stuff happen? Because some, you know, I'm saying this in love. This is love. But some idiot (laughs) built a city below sea level. And then, to add to the problem, they built dikes and levees and put a lake above that. How dumb can you get and still breathe? And then, when something happens and the levee breaks and people get flooded and people die, wonder why God did that. That's like you building your house over a cliff and using toothpicks to hold it up. And then when the toothpicks give way and they fall, I wonder why God caused that to happen. God didn't cause that to happen. I wonder why God caused Sid to have a motorcycle accident. God didn't cause a motorcycle accident. He didn't invent the motorcycle. God's not the one who caused people to jump off into a pool that has rocks in it and break your neck. God's not the one. You know, if you're 100 pounds overweight and if you're having back problems, why did God let this happen to me? God didn't have that happen to you. You strap 100 pounds around your middle and walk around with it day and night, sleep with it on top of you. Every time you roll over, you have to flop this 100 pounds over and stuff. And then when you have back problems, say, I don't know why God made this happen. God didn't make that happen. Man, I go to funerals. You know, we just had a celebration service yesterday. Here's Nicola Appleby and her mom went home to be with the Lord. And Elaine's just a great person, loved God. And she was believing God for a healing, but, you know, she didn't get her healing. And she went home to be with the Lord. And we had her memorial service. And people wonder, well, why did that happen? Why did God let that happen? God's not the one that caused that. God did not cause that. God told us not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told us not to do these things. We did it. We're the ones that started corruption. We're the one that caused disease and infection and all of these kind of things and perversions. We're the ones that put it into motion. Sin is what caused this. We live in a hostile environment. It's like your kids. If they go jump in a swimming pool and don't know how to swim, you didn't kill them. It's not the person that made the swimming pool that killed them. They got into an environment that they weren't created to live in. God didn't create man to live in a corrupted environment the way we live. And that's the reason that we die. And that's the reason that we have problems. If you go into outer space, you have to have a space suit. And it's only temporary that you can withstand all of the things in outer space. We weren't created to live in that environment. God didn't create man to live in sin and corruption and he told us not to do it. God's not the one that caused this. God didn't start all of the problems in this world. God is not the author of all of these things. Somebody says, well then why is it so prevalent? Why does everybody believe this? Well, I can't give you an answer for everybody, but I tell you, I believe one of the biggest reasons 
that this is so prevalent is because it's a cop-out, it's an escape, it's an excuse. For instance, when I was pastoring my first little church here, I was preaching that it's God's will to heal every time. And we had a couple in the church that had a mongoloid boy. He was four years old. And he was born mongoloid. Matter of fact, his wife, I mean the mother, was such a small woman. She lived in Guatemala at the time that they told her that she shouldn't have children because if she did, she was too small and uh, it would be problems. Well, anyway, she had the baby on the way to the hospital and because of it, the child was born retarded and and the... uh, Doctors said that the child would never live. Well, he'd lived four years old, but he had serious problems. He was weak, he was frail, and he had no immune system. And the doctor said if he ever got a cold or anything, he'd die. There was no way that he could withstand it. And so, anyway, they were in our church, and here I was preaching on healing, and we prayed over this boy, and this boy got a cold. The parents asked me to come over and pray over him, and we spent... I don't even know. It might have been as many as five, seven hours or something praying over this boy. And I mean, he was just lifeless. And we prayed over him and he died while I was holding him in my arms. And I kept praying over him. I got other people to pray. We tried to believe for him to be raised from the dead. And you know what? I gave it everything I had to see that boy heal. And you know what? When he died and when I couldn't bring him back, and we didn't see him heal, I guarantee you, I was tempted to tell those parents that, you know what, God works in mysterious ways. This must be God's will because I didn't want to accept responsibility for this boy dying. I didn't want to point at the parents and say, well, you must not have been in faith. Or there's other things involved. I didn't know what the problem was. If I knew what the problem was, I would have fixed it. And there was a real temptation to just take the easy way out. Everybody always wants to figure out why did this happen. We want to put everything in a box so that we don't have any unanswered questions. That's uncomfortable to us. And you know what? I just had to tell the parents. I said, look, I don't know what the problem is. But I said, God didn't kill your boy. I said, this is not God's will. And they said, well, whose fault? I said, you know, I I took the responsibility. I said, It's either me or it's you or something else. I don't know where the problem is, but it's not God. And somebody said, well, I couldn't live with that if I thought that I was responsible for something. Well, I can live with that better than thinking that God's responsible for it. I can live with it easier thinking that I've made a mistake than to think that God is the one that kills four-year-old babies. So I just had to tell the people, I said, I don't know where the problem is. It's you, it's me, it's a combination of the two. It's maybe just an attack from the devil that we weren't strong enough to overcome. I said, I don't know what the problem is. And then when we came to the funeral service, here you are trying to minister comfort to the family and and it's the first funeral I'd ever done. And you know what? It was not easy, but I sat there and proclaimed that God is not the one that killed his child. And anyway, it's a long story, but... This woman, within a month or so, the Lord had shown her that she, she had terrible fear planted in her when this boy was born. The doctor said if he ever got a cold, he'd die. And she had lived in terror. And when he got his cold, this fear just rose up. And the Lord showed her that she had, in, uh, not encouraged, but allowed this fear for those four years and that she just didn't overcome it, and that it was her fear that stopped that from working. And so the Lord gave her a word, and this woman was so small that the doctors told her never to have any other children. If she did have children, they'd have to be taken C-section, but even then they didn't expect any of them to live. Did you know because I told that woman the truth, and within a month or so the Lord showed her what the problem was, she got hold of that, found out that it wasn't God's will, and she had, what, four more children, I believe it was, all natural childbirth at home because no doctor would ever deliver them and she just had them all at home. And when her kids graduated from college, she sent me pictures of all of her kids because all of those came as a result of me telling her the truth and not telling her that it was God that wanted those children to die. It's the truth that's going to set you free. But you know what? As a pastor, I'm a, it's actually easier for me to teach these things than it is these pastors. Because you know what? I can teach these things and pray for you and leave. 
And then if it doesn't work and if you die, I'm gone. But you know what? For a pastor to stand up and start teaching these kind of things in their church, I guarantee you there's going to be somebody that it looks like they're doing everything that we know to do. And I still don't understand it all. If I understood the word better, I believe I'd have an answer for this. Elaine's funeral the other day, I had to just tell the people, I don't understand. Elaine, to me, was believing God. And she was confessing that she was healed right up until her last breath. And I don't understand everything, but I do know this from God's Word, that God only gives good and perfect gifts. God is the author of life and not the author of death. God is not the one who causes these things. And if we're missing it, it's because I'm missing it, you're missing it. It's just an attack from the devil. Maybe it's something that I don't even know or understand yet, but I can stand on this, that God is a good God. And God is not the one who is making your life miserable. And if you're ever going to get a revelation of the love of God, you're going to have to answer these kind of questions. You're going to have to get away from this extreme sovereignty of God to where God absolutely controls everything. And I know that there's some of you that the hair on the back of your neck stands up when I mention even the sovereignty of God because this is such a sacred cow. The word sovereign, I'm not against saying that God is sovereign if you'll use it the way the dictionary defines it. The dictionary defines sovereign as paramount, supreme, first in rank, order, or authority. Well, I agree 100%. God is all of those things. The second definition is that it means independent, sovereign. Like the United States is sovereign nation. That means that we were a colony of Great Britain, but we broke away from it. And now we are sovereign. We are independent. I don't mind saying that God is independent. Nobody tells him what to do. Nobody can force God. I agree with all of those things. But that's not what the word sovereign is used as in religion. The word sovereign has come to mean control. God controls everything. Nothing happens without God's permission. This is a sovereign nation, but you know what? There's things that happen inside of this nation that isn't absolutely controlled. There are people that rebel all of the time. There are things that happen. People will also use the word sovereign to say, well, God is sovereign. You never know what He's going to do. That's totally incorrect. The Lord will never violate His Word. He'll never violate a promise of His. And if God said that by my stripes you were healed, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers, then that is God's will and it will not be deviated from. So somebody's saying, well, you're saying that something that God wills doesn't come to pass? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. And you don't have to go very far to see that in Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is not God's will for a single person to go to hell, and yet Jesus said that there are going to be more people enter by the broad gate unto destruction than by the narrow gate unto heaven. Why? Because God gave us a choice. It is God's will for every person to be saved, but not every person is saved. Not every person is going to be saved. It is God's will for every person to be well, but not every person is well. It's God's will for you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. He died to give you an abundant life. Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, but Jesus came to give you an abundant life. But there's people in here that aren't experiencing an abundant life, and it's not because God didn't will it. It's because you don't understand. You are just sitting there... Rolling with the punches. You're floating downstream instead of exerting some effort and swimming upstream and resisting things. And we're blaming God and just thinking, well, if it was God's will, it'll come to pass. That's not so. You have to pursue. You have to fight for the things of God. We live in a hostile environment. We live in a corrupted world. It is easier to get sick than it is to get well. It's easier to be fat than it is to be skinny. It's easier to be lazy than it is to work. It's easier to fail than it is to succeed. It's going to take effort. And we've lulled people into a state of sleep just thinking, well, whatever God wills come to pass. That's not true. I actually pastored a church one time, Pritchett, Colorado, where the It's the only church I ever pastored that was started by somebody else. I took it over. And so they already had an eldership in place and they already had a history. 
And when I came there, I started preaching these exact things. And man, people got mad at me. There were some bad responses. But I was stronger in my belief than they were in their criticism. And so I was... I was making it, but there was this undertow. There was this criticism against me about this stuff can't be right. And they had had a guy in to speak before in that church, and they wanted to invite him back. And I said, nope, I don't think so, because I'd heard some stories about him. And I said, I'm not going to let him preach. He's not preaching the truth. And so they got really mad. And they came together, and the elders meant, and they tried to force me and stuff, so... Anyway, I said, well, give me some of his tapes and let me listen to it. So they gave me this tape. And on this tape, this guy preached in the sovereignty of God that nothing happened but what God willed it. And anyway, in his teaching, he was given an example about how he had this spirit of lust. And he was lusting for the women that were in his church. He was a pastor in Boulder, Colorado. And he was lusting for the women that were in his church. And it got so bad that it was causing problems in his marriage. And finally, they set him up to go get deliverance from this spirit. And so he was walking out of the house, getting into his car, and right as he put his hand on the handle of the door, the Lord spoke to him and said, you couldn't have this spirit if I hadn't have allowed it. And he says, well, you know, that's true. And then the Lord says, I'm working patience in you. You need to let patience have its perfect work so that you could be perfect and entire. And this man canceled his deliverance service and kept his demon because after all, he couldn't have had that problem if God hadn't have allowed it. (laughs) Boy, I got just a little bit hot. (laughs) I said, this guy's not coming to this church. And they said, yes, he is. And so anyway, they brought him against my will. And I said, all right, he's here. But I said, the first word he says, contrary to the word, I'm standing up and rebuking him. And they said, you wouldn't do it. And I said, you'd try me. See if I won't do it. So anyway, they told him, and he had enough gumption to get up and just greet the people and say he's glad to be there, but he was going to let me preach. And he decided not to preach, which was a good thing for his part, because I guarantee you, I'd have been right on him like a chicken on a June bug. I can guarantee it. Some of you think, well, I can't believe you're that way. Well, that's the reason I'm healed and you aren't. Because I stand for, I believe in the truth and you don't. You're afraid you're going to offend somebody. I'm afraid I won't. I tell you, this is non-negotiable. You know, if you came to me and slandered Jamie, and do you know Jamie's been running around on you and having affairs, and did you know that she does this and that? Man, what would happen if I listened to people all of the time just criticize and lie about Jamie and lie and lie and lie? Maybe I resist it for 20 years, but if every time, every day, somebody spoke evil about her and lied and misrepresented her, you know what, sooner or later, I'd begin to start thinking, I wonder why everybody says this about her. I wonder if Jamie really is faithful. You can't listen to stuff like that without it affecting you. There are some of you that go to churches that preach that God is the source of your problems. God's doing these things. And they're doing it, in my estimation, because it's an easy, safe doctrine. You don't have to defend anything. Get up and just blame God. Whatever happens, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. It has to be God. God must have allowed this You know what? You don't have to seek God. You don't have to believe God. You don't ever have to deal with any loose ends. Everything's all nice and neat. It's always God that caused the rape and the destruction and everything. But you go to preaching the truth. You know what? You're going to have some things that it's going to be hard to deal with. And there are some of you that go to churches that because of convenience preach this. And you know what? It's having an effect on the way you feel about God. You say that God loves you, but you aren't so sure that He's not going to slap you upside the head and give you cancer, destroy your home, cause a divorce because you haven't been doing right. You're going to get what you deserve. And then you wonder about why is it that the love of God isn't impacting my life? It's because, man, if you think that a person loves you and they love you so much they're liable to rape you or kill you because of their great love for you, something is wrong. And religion has misrepresented God. I tell you what, God is not the author of these bad things. 
Now there's more on this. Maybe I'll share this. I, I can't tell you everything I know in one lesson. But there are lots of examples in the Bible of God smiting people with the botch and the mildew and emrods and you know, blasting and people dying and things like this. And people say, well, that, that God did that. I agree. God destroyed the earth with a flood. I agree. But all of that was in the Old Covenant. There is a difference between the way God dealt with people in the Old Covenant. And actually, if you could understand, I hadn't got time to present this, it's actually an act of mercy that God killed all but eight people with the flood. Because there was a cancer in the, in the earth Sin was so rampant. Back during the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood, bestiality was the normal practice. Not an exception. Normal. That's the reason the Lord told them to go in and kill the women and the children and the animals. Those people were demon-possessed. There was bestiality. Terrible things going on. And you couldn't be born again and delivered and set free. So it was kind of like a cancer in the body. As bad as it is, you know, if you have a gangrene or if an infected leg, you may have to cut off a leg to save the body. That's what God did. Before Jesus came and brought salvation and people beca- could become brand new people and stuff, the way that He dealt with it was just kill them. And it was terrible on them. That'd be like, you know, if you're the foot that gets amputated, that's pretty severe. But if you're the rest of the body, it's actually an act of mercy to cut off that foot. It was actually an act of mercy to have God say that if your child curses a father or mother, bring him to the elders and have him reproved. And if he does it a second time, stone him to death. Kill him. You know what? We don't do that today. It's a good thing or many of us wouldn't be here. But why did they do that in the Old Testament? Because you couldn't get born again and delivered and set free the way that we can today. So in the Old Testament, if your child smarted off more than one time and cursed father or mother, the Bible said kill them. Because it's like a cancer. That rebellion is bad stuff. And it had to be stopped. Now we live under a new covenant and under a better day to where God can forgive you and cleanse you and you don't kill your children when they curse you, amen, and you don't do these things. And God isn't smiting people with the botch, mildew, and emrods. You know, I know I'm going long. I'm going to say this last thing and quit. I'm going to say this as fast as I can. But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, for those of you that think, well, I believe sometimes sickness could really be a good thing. Deuteronomy 28 tells you what the blessings of the law are and the curses. And Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 14 lists all of the blessings that will come upon you if you will obey God. And it says prosperity and happiness and joy and healing and deliverance and protection. And all of those things are listed as a blessing. Then over here on the curse side, it says all of these curses will come upon you. And verses 15 through 68, for those of you that are pretty good at math, There's more verses on the curse side than there are on the blessing side, amen. You'll be cursed with the botch, with the mildew, with emrods, with an itch, sickness, disease. And he says all sickness and all disease, even those things that aren't written in the Word of God, them will the Lord your God bring upon you until you're destroyed. Now the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse. So if you can find it written on the curse side of Deuteronomy 28.15-68, that means God won't do it to you because He did it to Jesus. You will never have one of those curses come on you. So you don't, you don't have to put up with an itch. You don't have to put up with mildew. You don't have to put up with blasting, which is high damaging winds. You don't have to put up with any sickness or any disease, barrenness. None of those things. The Bible says this is bad. This, these are curses. These are good. It's good to be well. It's good to be prosperous. It's good to be blessed in your basket and in your store. It's good to be blessed when you go out and when you come in. It's bad to be cursed and to have to borrow and be under a service to other people. It's bad to be sick. It's bad to be poor. It's bad to have all of these things. And it's amazing to me how the church has turned this around to where Christians are saying, Oh God, thank you for this trial. Wrong. And if you believe that, you aren't ever going to have a good revelation of God's love. There is so much more than what I've been able to share this morning. This is such in, in, uh, an established doctrine. It's so ingrained that I know many of you still have a lot of questions, but the heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. So I'm going to let you go.
But I tell you, I believe that it's imperative that you, you can't miss it on this issue. You've got to believe that God's a good God. And if something bad's happening, you may not understand. You may be giving it your best shot and you just can't understand why things aren't working. But it's not because God willed it. God wills for your success. His thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, a hope and a future. God wants good things for you. Just like a parent would never put cancer on their child because they stayed out late and you deserve it. You know, a God would never put cancer on you, smite you with something because you did something wrong. And that's just wrong that He's represented that way. And you know what? I hate the fact that I'm countering so much there's people that are good people, people that I love, who preach the exact opposite of what I'm saying. And they love God and they're good people. But it's wrong. And I hate it that I'm putting myself in opposition to so many people, but it's just the truth. It's the truth that's going to set you free. At one time, I believed these things. I submitted to stuff and I saw Satan steal from me and I loved God, but I was wrong. I'm just telling you, this is the truth. And I know somebody think, well, who are you to counter what everybody else has to say? I'm saying it based on the authority of the Word of God. You go to the Word of God and let God be true and every man a liar. And if you'll go to the Word of God, I think you'll find out that God's a good God. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.